0: Our reading tonight is in Hebrews, chapter 12, um, and we will be reading from verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words, that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who are ill-treated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honoured by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. This is God's word.
1: Great to see you. If you don't know me, I'm Simon, one of the ministers here. And uh, keep that passage open, because we're going to spend a bit of time looking at that. Let me pray as we get started. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you so much that uh, you're not a silent God, you speak, Thank you so much that these words in in the scripture that we've just read are from you. And so we can trust them. Thank you that they're powerful words with authority to change our lives, to transform us, to make us the kind of people you you want us to be. So we pray that we depend on them and love them as we engage with them now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Do you worship? Are you... A person who worships? Do you worship God? What do you mean by that? If you say you're somebody who who would worship, what what do you mean when you say, I I worship God? At the end of our our passage last week, we got to the end of uh, Hebrews uh, 12, and uh, verse 28 says this. Maybe you remember this from last week. Since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken... Let us be thankful, we got that far last week, and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. What does that mean? What what is worship? What does it mean to worship God acceptably in a way that we haven't just made up, but is how he wants us to worship? The answer is going to be laid out for us in chapter 13. Uh, And in a few minutes, we're going to spend some time on that. But before we get there, I want to just spend a little bit of time on this question. What is worship? If you uh, were to stop random people on the street and ask them what they thought religious people did when they worship, uh, I guess you'd get people scratching their head a bit and then saying, well, I don't know, uh, you go to church or synagogue or mosque or temple and you do religious sort of things. Um... I don't know, uh, stuff like praying and singing and bowing and, um, I don't know, rituals and special clothes. Um, washing, taking bread and wine, just religious stuff. That's worship, isn't it? Is that what people on the street might say? And if you then ask the random person on the street, why do you think religious people do things like that? Um, I guess people might say, well, I don't know, to um, uh, get God's attention earn his favour, I don't know, win his approval and and get some sort of blessing from him, that kind of thing. That is the way worship is understood by loads of people across the world who practice all sorts of different religions. Even sometimes worship is understood that way by by Christians, as we'll see in a moment. Uh, You worship in order to earn God's favour, to get something from him. And uh, people who write against Christianity or against religion today uh, love ridiculing that idea, uh, the idea of a sort of bored, slightly petulant God who sits there, doesn't really care about people, um, so what he demands is people put on a show for him, uh, that they sort of fawn over him and grovel and squirm and beg uh, until he's amused enough to pay attention and grant their requests. Now I've got to say, if that is what worship is, then I agree with Dawkins and Hitchens and, and Co., who would ridicule that and say how ugly and primitive and how unworthy of the 21st century, and uh, how, they'd be right about that. Unworthy of God, unworthy of human beings. But what that new atheist movement hasn't understood. Is that true Christian worship is nothing like that at all. It couldn't be more different. Uh, Hebrews is really clear about that. Christian worship is not about getting God's attention, earning his favour, trying to prize his unwilling hands from some sort of blessing that he doesn't want us to have. Uh, let's rewind just for a second to uh just one verse from that bit from chapter twelve that we had had read. Look at verse twenty three. It's in the middle of a huge description of how Christians have been blessed, with what we've already received. Middle of verse 23 says, You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. We looked at all the details of that last week. Um, but what rings out loud and clear is, if you trust in Jesus, you've already got God's attention and his favor and his determination to bless you with wonderful things forever you've you've come to god you've got that already i want us to understand this evening before we get into what worship is that we're in his presence already permanently forever if we trust in jesus not because what we've done but because of what he's done by dying on the cross for us Every second of our lives, we have his blessing and his favour. And it all depends on Jesus, not on you and me and what we do. God is with you, if you trust in Jesus. He's with you in church, yes. Uh, But he's with you at home, he's with you on the tube, he's with you in bed, he's with you in the pub. Wherever you are, with you at work, he'll never, ever leave you. You can live your whole life in the presence of God. There is no greater privilege. That's that's what's on offer to you through Jesus if you don't yet know him and trust him. Now, this means that uh, we don't have to go to a special place uh, to enter God's presence like a church or a temple. You don't need to do religious activities like animal sacrifices or wearing funny robes, whatever it might be. You don't need a holy person like a priest uh, who can take you into God's presence. Uh, it is all done. Jesus has done it. You've already come to God. He- the whole of Hebrews has been hammering on that point. Jesus has done all of that. So back to the question, what is worship? What does the fact that we're always in God's presence mean about worship? Because here's the problem. The the, the word for worship in that verse, verse 28, was always the the word for temple activities, for coming there to approach God and the priests and the sacrifices and all that sort of thing. The, The things you did to approach God but all of that's finished. That's what Hebrews has been saying. Jesus has made that whole system obsolete by finishing the job that, they've, that they were trying to do. Worship used to be about trying to enter God's presence. But now it can't be about that. Because we're all in God's presence already. All the time. As verse 28 puts it, Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, in other words, since we're already saved, we're already on the way to heaven, already in his presence, so how should we worship? Now that is where chapter 13 comes in. Uh, when you get to chapter 13, you look at it and think, um, hmm, the NIV editors didn't quite know what to do with this, did they? Concluding exhortations. Thanks for that deeply revealing insight um, into how this all fits together. Um, In the original, there's no break between the chapters. You might know the verse numbers and chapter numbers were added much later uh, than it was written. So chapter 12 just runs straight into chapter 13. And the logic runs like this. Uh, Verse 28. uh, Let us worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And that worship is 13 verse 1. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Verse 2, don't forget to entertain strangers. Verse 3, remember those in prison. Verse 4, honor marriage. Verse 5, keep your lives free from the love of money. That stuff, says Hebrews, is worship. That is the acceptable worship that God is asking of us. How do you you respond to that? Um, Maybe you're thinking, wait a minute, this, this stuff it's a bit sort of humdrum, a bit everyday, uh, a bit sort of normal life. Maybe you're expecting worship to consist of something a little bit more spiritual sounding, a bit more otherworldly, uh, some kind of special activity that we get to do and others don't get to do. This is just everyday stuff. But that is precisely the point. Because of Jesus... All of your life is lived in God's presence, enjoying his favour. And so, all of your life is worship. Worship isn't entering God's presence, it is living life in his presence. Worship is 24-7 now for us in Jesus, because you're in God's presence 24-7 in Jesus. Now look, can I say, this has been massively understood uh, in the history of the church, and continues to be misunderstood in lots of ways today. Uh, a couple of examples very quickly. Traditional church buildings. Uh, we talked about this a little bit, I think, uh, a few weeks back. Um, but yeah, traditional church buildings, what are they like? Well, variations, obviously. But at the front, you've got the sanctuary. And that's the really ornate bit, the bit where um, it's quite often sort of roped off with big screens or rails. And it's meant to be the, the holiest bit of the building. Sometimes only the priests are supposed to go in there. Uh, And that's the bit where you're closest to God. And then the rest of the building, well, that's just where everybody else sits. Uh, Why are churches designed that way? Whether consciously or not, it's, it's an imitation of the temple. Where people would go and approach the presence of God that was hidden away in the Holy of Holies. But do you see how dangerous that can be? It completely ignores the fact that Jesus has brought us into God's presence permanently forever. Uh, If you think that way, you you say, well, worship is this little one or two hour slot on a Sunday where I come and enter God's presence. Uh, You have to go to a special place, do special activities led by a special person. And Hebrews would say, no, 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 no. Worship is not that little slot. You don't need those special things. Jesus has taken you to God forever. And so worship is your whole life. Uh, by the way, uh, in those traditional church settings, who sits closest to God, apart from the priests? Up in the, the special pews at the front? The choir, the musicians. Musicians are so close to God, aren't they? Isn't it fantastic? That's been a real point of uh, confusion, music, Um Music can stir the emotions, and it can feel very otherworldly and spiritual at times. And through the centuries, music and musicians have often been thought to bring us into God's presence in some sort of special way. Now again, don't undo the work of Christ. Uh, I've got a friend who likes to say, uh, if music could bring us into God's presence, then 2,000 years ago, God would have sent an organist or a guitarist um, but he didn't. He sent a saviour to die on the cross. That is what gets us into God's presence. And so, I mean, this is a second example. Um, music today is at the heart of another massive misunderstanding of worship. I mean, think about it. If you're if you if you're chatting with a friend and they tell you about a church they're going to and they say, oh, the worship at this church is fantastic. What do they normally mean by that? The, the singing, isn't it? That's normally what people mean when they say Worship. Do you see how that narrows the definition of worship even more? It's not just saying it's the the, the gathering on a Sunday. It's saying it's that little bit, whatever it is, half an hour of singing. Now, if you've been here any length of time, if if you've talked to me at all, you will know that I love music, that I'm passionately involved in the music here. I love uh, leading the band. Uh, I'm passionate about the place of music in ministry. Uh, If if you've been here any length of time, you'll you'll know that about me. Um, But I'm also passionate about helping us to see that if we think worship is music, we're also in danger of imitating the temple. Have you heard people talking about entering God's presence as they sing and being led into God's presence by the worship leader at the front? Uh, It's not always this blatant, but um, I came across a CD review which says... um, it's of a, a church singing to, to God. It says, um, This recording will take you into the deepest inner sanctum of God's presence. Wow. How much would you pay for that? It's quite, it's quite something. I came across a, a training manual for bands in ch- uh, that, that play in church, which says, um, The drummer in your band has the key to unlocking the presence of God. Where's Bertie? Get back in there. We, uh, <laughs> you need to take us into God's presence. I mean, seriously, a few weeks back, we um, we had a crisis. There weren't any drummers available, so we actually had a service with no drummers. I'm so sorry. We didn't enter God's presence that night. I'm so sorry. Do you, do you get how serious and silly this mistake is? I shall um, restrain myself, because clearly this is one of my pet topics. But... Um, <laughs> Please don't be taken in. Music is wonderful and it's a great gift. And I love whenever I get the chance to say lots about uh, the way it helps us to express and align our emotions to God and his purposes. To encourage one another, to help God's word dwell in us richly, his spirit's influence to fill our lives. It's a joy to sing God's praise. Uh, Lots of you heard me on that stuff. That's for another day. But please don't think of worship as just singing. Uh, don't think of the band leader as a worship leader who can help you into God's presence. It, it's not a helpful title. Uh, musicians are not Old Testament priests. We're not Jesus, for goodness sake. Uh, we can't lead you into God's presence. We're sinners just like you. Only Jesus can do that, and he's already done it. So, worship is all of life, not a restricted bit of time on a Sunday. And so this stuff in uh, Hebrews 13, the stuff about love and suffering and sex and money, that is worship. And that is more intrusive and more challenging to you and me than if it was just that God cared about a couple of hours on Sunday. So for the rest of our time, let's take a quick tour of these first few verses of chapter 13. This is what true worship is. And if you want to write things down, um, these are the headings I'm going with. True worship begins with loving each other. That's the sort of overall heading of these verses. Uh, And then a a, a quick summary of each of the the verses that come up. Love as siblings, verse 1. Entertain strangers, verse 2. Remember the mistreated, verse 3. Honor marriage, verse 4. I'm actually going to leave the last one of those till next week, just because of time, uh, and and cover it with verses 5 and 6. But it, it belongs here with these verses, really, as an aspect of loving each other. So uh, I'll list it this week and then talk about it next week. So, true worship begins with loving each other. Isn't it striking that at the top of the list of what God regards as acceptable worship is how we treat each other? This is nothing like that uncaring deity uh, that Dawkins and co. love to, to write about. You know, the one who just wants us to amuse him and he doesn't care about us. The God of the Bible, the, the true and living God, the worship He wants from us starts with loving each other. There's a contrast in chapter 13 between people and things. Uh, verse 1 keep on loving each other as brothers. And then verse 5, which we'll get to next week, keep your lives free from the love of money. So you know, put these first few verses together of Hebrews 13. And it's love people, not possessions. That's the beginning of understanding what God cares about and so what he calls us to to do in worship. Now obviously these verses are are a very brief bullet point summary of your life uh, and the worship you can engage in. So this is going to be a whistle-stop tour uh, rather than a massively in-depth thing on these issues, but... Here are the first three, then, of these four aspects of loving people that the author brings out here. Subheading number one, love as siblings. First one says, uh, keep on loving each other as brothers. It says brothers. Uh, the Greek word under underlying it means brothers and sisters, just in case you feel left out by that. Um, now, The picture of the Christian life uh, that's given in the Bible is never one of Lone Ranger's. Uh, who just sort of ruggedly go through life on their own? It's you know it's, it's just me and God. Don't need anyone else. We'll make it through. The Bible's expectation is that someone doing that will probably walk away from God. We're not self-sufficient in our spiritual walk. We're in a family as Christians. We we need our brothers and sisters with our heavenly Father, and so worship begins with being family. Being brothers and sisters, practically, Uh, in church we will ideally love each other as much, if not even more, than uh, a blood brother or sister. When I lived at home with my parents uh, and my brother and sister, there was this expectation every day that after school I would go home. Bizarre. I don't know if you had that as well. Um, That uh, you know, if there wasn't some event on, I'd, I'd go home. Uh, and uh, and we did that. And so every every night after school, I'd, I'd go home and we'd, meet, we'd we'd see each other and we'd eat together and we'd talk and uh, we'd we'd sort of look after each other a bit and, and meet each other's needs. My mum would cook and stuff like that. Um, that's sort of what a functional family does. Of course, of course, how we treated each other varied a bit. Um, no perfect families in the world, uh, but. Basically, we loved each other. Uh, And that showed in a daily life that I'm I'm really grateful for. Now, I know that that some here won't have had uh, that kind of enjoyment of an earthly family. And I want to say to you, you can have that. You can have more than that by being part of the family of God. By being with brothers and sisters that love you. Interesting fact, the, uh, the word for brotherly love in verse 13 in the original Greek is Philadelphia. Uh, I don't know if, you, uh, if that makes you think of the, the city in uh, Pennsylvania or the, the cream cheese spread. But when you think of church, think Philadelphia. It means brotherly love. We may be cheesy, but we're family. Remember Philadelphia, that is us. Apparently, um, some of the the early Christian um, groups were were written about by non-Christian writers who described Christians and their activities. And these non-Christian writers thought it was absolutely ludicrous that Christians expanded family to include the church. So in their family were rich and poor, slaves and masters, people at every level of society. Calling each other brothers and sisters, loving each other as equals. And the sort of early Roman commentators on this thought it was ugly. The Bible says that is not ugly, that is beautiful. That is an amazing work of God. And that is our worship. That's where worship begins. Now, look, this is not easy. Uh, It's not easy to be brothers and sisters in London for a start, that takes effort. Uh, Earlier in Hebrews chapter 10, the writer urges us to love each other by spurring one another on in the faith and continuing to meet together. It's hard work, but this is part of why we come to church each week. It's not just for our own spiritual benefit. It's in order to love our brothers and sisters. It's why we all try to make the effort, even on Sundays or midweek nights when it's chucking it down with rain to be here and not miss an opportunity to to love our brothers and sisters. In the summer, temptation is the opposite. You're there enjoying the sun in the afternoon, sometimes in the summer, and uh, it's so nice outside, and there's so many things to do in London in the summer, and you're feeling so relaxed, and you're lying there in your little sunbathing spot in the middle of some park thinking, what does it matter if I don't go to church today? It matters. Loving others is top of God's list. It's not just for you. It's for the whole church that you should go. It can also be hard because of, um, well, frankly, what we're like. Uh, we're not always easy to, lo- easy to love. If you've been here any length of time, you'll have discovered that. Uh, there will be people who you're tempted to avoid, or tempted to be ashamed of. You'll have worked out that, as the Bible says, they're sinful. And they might have worked out, as the Bible says, that you're sinful. Uh, So there may be people that you don't want to love. It's an effort. Um, uh, I've come across church ministers who've done their theological training and they go to their first post as a minister. uh, And they have a a ridiculously idealistic view of what it's going to be like leading a church. Um, And. A couple of times I've heard people say things like, well, you know, I I thought I would just go and preach the word and everybody would follow and it'll be fantastic, straightforward. And then they go and they discover, of course, a church that's full of problems and hurt and sin and relational complexity. And despite everything the Bible teaches and everything they should know about human beings, they're shocked. Don't be surprised when it's hard. To love each other. I guess that Jesus found it hard to love us it wasn't just an awkward inconvenience for him. Uh, he had to give his life to love us. Back in chapter 2, the writer describes Jesus' death on the cross for us and then says, well, Jesus, having died, is not ashamed to call us brothers. So let's follow Jesus' lead on this. Don't be ashamed to love each other as brothers and sisters, no matter how hard that is. Struck me as I was preparing this, wouldn't it be easier to go to one of those churches where, um you know, when nobody talks to each other, you, you arrive at the beginning and everyone sits in reverent silence. And then after the service, everyone departs in reverent silence. And uh, you don't have to interact. But yeah, that would be easier. I'm not sure it qualifies as worship though. Not if this is at the top of God's list. Loving brothers and sisters. So do watch yourself uh, on this. Um, of course there's going to be times when um, you can't come to church for good reasons. Work to minimize those if you can. The rest of the time come. And also watch yourself. If you find yourself drifting into a pattern, of have I remember times when I've done this in my life. Drifting into a pattern of sort of deliberately turning up just as the service is starting and then deliberately heading for the door just as the service is finished. Yeah, don't do that. If you want to worship here at Christ Church Mayfair, then worship God's way, which starts with loving your brothers and sisters. And that's going to take time and effort and sacrifice. But that's worship. So i heading to... Uh, these these uh, two and three are quicker. Don't worry. Um, let me read verse two. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. We'll talk about angels in a sec. Um, it's worth me setting the, the the scene here by saying that things have changed a little about... Uh, entertaining strangers since Hebrews was written. In those early days of the church, there would have been uh, regular travelling groups of Christian missionaries who went from town to town, uh, and they would arrive in a town needing food and drink and somewhere to sleep, Uh, and uh, then they'd be sent on their way to the next place with whatever provisions they needed. And a lot of early Christian writings to churches say, help these people. If a a, a traveling bunch of missionaries comes to your town, put them up, give them food, give them a bed, and send them on their way with what they need. Now, occasionally that sort of thing still happens. I I had an email back in January uh, regarding an American speaker who was traveling to London to speak at the the student mission in January, and uh, the email said, we'd love somebody to put them up. So that kind of thing still happens, but not often. It's quite rare. I imagine you don't, don't get that kind of email very often. So, how should we apply entertaining strangers today as our uh, worship, as an aspect of our worship? Well, let me ask: When do you encounter strangers here in church? Most weeks, probably. Christchurch Mayfair, we're very blessed to have a fairly steady stream of. Newcomers, of guests, of visitors um, who come through the door. That that is an immense privilege. There's not many churches that would have as as many newcomers as as we have. And and you and I have a fantastic opportunity to welcome them. uh, To introduce them to the family, to your brothers and sisters in Christ. To invite them to, to your social gatherings. And especially, if possible, to your home. Now I think that's quite important. Biblically, hospitality is a a huge deal. It comes up in loads of of the letters. And we're all encouraged to get involved. So this summer, we pray that there will be lots of newcomers. Uh, Maybe there are some here tonight. Fantastic to see you. See if you can get someone to invite you back to their their place um, for dinner or something. Um, So during the summer, and then September and October... Traditionally, our biggest months for welcoming new people. There'll be loads of new students, we pray, there'll be lots of others that are moving to London with work. Can I ask all of you, if you're part of the church family here, how will you get involved with that? Because if you want to worship God, this is part of worship. It's a key thing he wants us to do. I can imagine uh, a few objections that you might have to getting involved with entertaining strangers. Um, you might say... I haven't been here for very long myself, I still feel quite new. Well, you could you know, get yourself invited, invite yourself around to some, somebody who's been here a bit longer. Uh, but actually, think about it, in the eyes of a newcomer, you're just the same as everyone else. You're just one of the brothers and sisters here, they don't know how long you've been here. You can welcome and, and invite people over as well as anyone else. It doesn't matter how long you've been here, all of us can do that. You might say, uh, my flat's really small. It's miles away. Nobody's going to want to come there. OK, let's be really realistic. For some, it's easier to entertain than, than for others. Um, but please don't underestimate how great it is to be invited to someone's home, especially in London. London can be so impersonal. Of course, we love meeting up in central London and spending time in bars and cafes, and that, that's wonderful. It's very enjoyable. It doesn't necessarily help us to feel like family. So, ask anyway. Do you want to come over to my little flat that's miles away? I'd love you to come. People are grown-ups. If they don't want to come that far, they can tell you. <laughs> Should we meet somewhere else? <laughs> Invite. Don't be, don't be worried or ashamed. Uh, I just feel tired and socially exhausted. I just can't imagine feeling up to that. I understand. Um, and there is a time for giving yourself a break. But don't be too easy on yourself in that respect. Um, we're not talking about entertaining every night. Uh, just an occasional effort to meet a new person and include them in your circle of friends. doesn't have to be a lifetime commitment to that person. Uh, but then again they might become a really good friend to you so uh, during the summer have a good holiday give yourself rest and a break and then plan to be hospitable in September but isn't it, isn't, it, isn't it the job of the ordained ministers to do this welcoming really really do you see any evidence in here that this is addressed just to ordained ministers um, there's only three or four of us anyway, and there's three services, a hundred and whatever people at each. Come on, the math doesn't add up. Uh, we're all in this together. Please be realistic. These worship commands are addressed to absolutely everyone in the church, all the brothers and sisters. And to top it all, you might find yourself entertaining an angel in verse 2. Um, well, the, uh, the author is presumably thinking about when that happened to Abraham. In Genesis 18, uh, he welcomed three visitors, only later to, to discover that they were angels. Uh, same thing happened to Samson's parents with, uh, with a visitor that came over in Judges 13. So it can happen. Uh, he's not necessarily saying that that will happen to you or me. Uh, he's not necessarily saying that there are some angels planted amongst the newcomers who are coming to CCM in the summer kind of sent by the heavenly MI5 to see how we're doing on the hospitality front. (laughs) I don't think he's necessarily saying that that's going to happen, but I think he is saying this. You could be incredibly blessed by somebody that you invite to your place, a stranger you've not met before, by getting to know them. You have no idea how God might use that person in your life or in the life of CCM. Abraham had no idea what was coming with the angels that he unwittingly invited into his place. If you didn't invite that person, maybe they would just walk out and not come back. Maybe they'd end up walking away from God because of not finding fellowship in a church. Maybe if you do invite them, you're part of God bringing somebody to himself. Or part of God raising up a new leader who's going to do incredible things in the kingdom in the future. Or maybe you're meeting someone who's going to be your best friend. You don't know. God could bless you in extraordinary ways as you entertain strangers. Last subheading we're dealing with tonight. Remember the mistreated. This is verse 3. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who were ill-treated as if you yourselves were suffering. There's an extraordinary sympathy shown here. As if you were their fellow prisoners. As if you yourselves were suffering. I'm sure you're aware that, um, if you, if you watch any news at any point in your average week, I'm sure you're aware that some Christians around the world are horribly persecuted. I'm sure we all know that. The decimation of the Christian populations of Iraq and Syria, the, the brutal massacres of, of, Churchgoers in Nigeria, uh, the prison camps of North Korea, the the government-funded demolition of churches in China, and so on, and so on, and so on. And the scale of it can sometimes um, make us feel numb. We think, I I just can't cope with thinking about this, or knowing about it, or or, or praying it through, because it's painful and emotionally hurtful to me to think about this persecution of other Christians. Please don't let that happen. Don't shut yourself off from the suffering of our brothers and sisters around the world. These verses encourage us, obviously not every second of every day, but at least sometimes to to see what's going on, to feel the anguish, to pray. The very first time the Band-Aid single was released, in the 80s, my parents bought it for me. Uh, It was the first music I ever owned, and um, I remember talking to my mum about one of the lines in the song, which says, and just thank God it's them instead of you. Thank God that the devastating famine of the 80s was in Ethiopia rather than Britain, in other words. Now look, I don't want to be critical, that line can be taken in two ways, can't it? There's a very callous way of saying that. Christians are being killed in Nigeria. Well, thank God it's them and, and, and not me so that I can get on with my, my comfortable life. Things in Iraq, they're, they're dreadful for Christians. It was just too painful for me to, to think about that. So I'll, I'll just thank God that I live somewhere nicer. Hebrews 13 won't let us slip into that callous kind of response. We're To be emotionally invested in the suffering and persecution of others, even when that's hard. Of course it's impossible to be sympathising and, and, and knowing and praying all the time about that. We're limited as to what we can do. But there's an organisation that some of us have found very useful uh, in this regard. Uh, you might have come across the Barnabas Fund. Uh, do have a look at their website if you've not seen it before. Uh, you can get their regular newsletters, which give updates on, on suffering Christians, persecuted Christians from around the world. Often it's heart-rending. It's sometimes awful reading. There's lots of good news as well that they spread around. But Hebrew says, don't, "Don't." That wasn't me. Who, who sneezed into it? <laughs> um, Hebrew says, "Don't, don't shut yourself off emotionally from this. Feel the anguish. Pray." Uh, and in the of Fund, you can give towards the, their work of supporting uh, persecuted Christians as well. It's not just the imprisoned, in verse 3. It's those who are mistreated in any way for being a Christian. So uh, what will you do when one of your colleagues is ridiculed or humiliated for being a Christian? Will you stand with them or, or just drop them when life is difficult? You might have all sorts of reasons in your head for not... Uh, standing with them, for keeping your head down. You know, maybe they said things a bit unwisely. Maybe they brought uh, more of a, a negative response on themselves than was, was needed. And, and, of course, sometimes staying quiet uh, is sensible, but it takes courage to still look after a person like that as a brother. Don't drop them. This is your brother or your sister we're talking about. Don't freeze them out. Don't join the mocking crowd or, or sneak away as if you're disowning them. This is another aspect of worship that God cares deeply about. So, uh, there you have it for tonight, part one of true worship in Hebrews 13. Um, Let me say, if you're passionately singing God's praise on a Sunday, but not doing these things, not loving brothers and sisters, not entertaining strangers, not remembering the mistreated, then I don't think you can think you're... You're truly worshipping worshiping God in the way that he commands, the way that he finds acceptable. We can't reduce worship to an hour or two on Sunday. It is our whole life. And loving people is at the top of the list of what worship really means. So as we finish, look around you. Look at the people next to you. Look at the people behind you. These are your brothers and sisters. These are the people that you're on that long, hard journey to heaven with. We share the privilege of being in God's presence uh, to worship him every second of our lives. We have that privilege. And what he cares about the most in our response of worship to him is that we love each other. So let's pray. God and Father, we're so sorry for the times when we have reduced worship in our heads to just a little part of the week. As if you only care about how we act when we're in church or when we're singing. Thank you so much that because of Jesus we live in your presence every second of every day. And we do pray, Father, that you'd help us to live lives of acceptable worship to you. Help us to think this evening... What can I do to love my brothers and sisters more? What can I do to entertain a stranger, to show hospitality to people that I've not met before? And what can I do to be more caring, more involved in the persecution of Christians across the world? We pray that each of us would take action on all of those points, that we might worship you in the way that you want. In Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.